This evening we want to start uh, a study in which we revisit the subject of Bible authority. We think that Bible authority is so very crucially important. Uh, really, authority is important in all aspects of our lives. When we get out on the highway to drive, uh, we expect everyone to comply with the authority that says you drive on the right side of the road, you stop uh, when the stoplight is red, and you go when it's green, and you observe the speed limits. Uh, authority. Someone has set the rules, and we are expected to follow them. Uh, what if when you came to your house one day, uh, you'd been gone for a few hours, and, and in the interim, while you were away, someone moved into your house, threw all your stuff out, and moved their stuff in, and they're living in your house. Well, they can't do that. Uh, there are rules that govern that sort of thing. You quickly call for the police and other authority figures to remedy that situation. There are rules that have to be followed. What if you uh, looked out in your driveway and someone was stripping parts off of your car? You'd say, hey, man, what are you doing there? And he said, well, I, I, I talked to a hitchhiker out on Main Street, and he told me it'd be okay if I took the wheels and rims off of your car. No, that's not right. That hitchhiker didn't give authority, doesn't have the authority to give anybody permission to do that sort of thing. So the point we're making here is authority is so crucially important in all aspects of our lives. It's important in the nation. It's important in our homes and in our schools and in our businesses. It's really important everywhere. Authority is so important. It's no less important and actually more important in spiritual matters, in religious affairs, because these things have to do with our eternal souls. Authority properly defined means, according to the dictionary, legal or rightful power, a right to command or act, dominion, jurisdiction. In other words, it's the idea of someone being in charge uh, with the right to tell others what to do and how to do it. A text that deals with this important idea in religion is in Matthew chapter 21, beginning verse 23. Read with me. Matthew 21, beginning verse 23. And when he, Jesus, was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, if we, say, if we shall say from heaven, he will say to us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. I think there are several interesting things here. Now, observe, of course, that these enemies of Jesus were not right. Their attitudes weren't right. Their priorities weren't right. They were not right spiritually. But actually, they asked a couple of very crucial questions to Jesus. First of all, they said, By what authority doest thou these things? That's a proper question. Now, you need authority. If you're going to be acting, teaching, conducting religious affairs... You need to have authority. And so they ask him, by what authority doest thou these things? That's a, that's a right and proper question. It wasn't coming from good people, but it's a right and proper question. And then they further said, 
who gave thee this authority? Uh, that's a good question too. Um, you have to, in order to say, well, I have this authority, and here's the one who gave me this authority. Those are proper things, and those were right questions asked by these enemies of Jesus. Jesus' answer shows that there are really only two possible sources for religious activity. He said, when he said, the baptism of John, whence was it from heaven or of men? So Jesus said, when it comes to religious activity, there's only two, two sources. One of them is heaven, which would be the proper source. The other is from men. Uh, and, of course, unfortunately, men have taken it upon themselves to do all sorts of things religiously. So remember this text as we start our study. And, by the way, I, I should have mentioned this, this study of Bible authority. We want to continue this for the next few Sunday nights, uh, potentially as long as this pandemic crisis continues. We may have to continue these uh, YouTube sermons on Sunday night. So I thought we'd just devote it to revisiting this subject of Bible authority. And I want you to remember this text here in Matthew 21, when the Jews were questioning Jesus, by what authority do this, doest thou these things? Who gave you this authority? Those are proper questions. We ought to be asking those kind of questions. Jesus said there can only be two sources, one of them from heaven, which would be right. The other is from men. Obviously, they don't have the authority to give uh, instructions, rules, commands religiously. Let's review that a little bit further. Let's talk about some wrong sources for religious authority. First of all, we might say that our authority religiously does not come from ourselves. You know, that's really a, a popular view. And many people in our religious world today have the idea that if it feels good, you can do that. Uh, if, if you feel sincere about it, if it's a good thing, do, do, do what you like. It really doesn't matter. Very much so in the religious world today, the idea has become pervasive. I'm okay, you're okay, do whatever you want. But that has never been so with God. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, the prophet said, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And, and so a long time ago, the prophet Jeremiah accurately observed, men can't direct their steps spiritually. They need guidance from God. In Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says, There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Do you see that? It may seem right, but it doesn't work. And so we understand that our authority in religion cannot just derive from ourselves, from our own likes or dislikes, from our own opinions and think-sos. That does not work religiously. We know, too, that we can't look to other men for our authority in religion. For instance, uh, well, look at Matthew 15. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Key expression here. In vain they do worship me. We understand that the word vain means it's worthless, it's good for nothing. What made their religion vain, good for nothing? Why was their worship not accomplishing anything? They were teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And so we can't look to other men 
for our guidance in religious matters. More specifically, we would say you can't just go to what the preacher says. How often have you talked to people religiously and and when you question them about this or that, about some specific practice, maybe concerning something that we differ over, and they will respond by saying, well, my preacher says. Well, that doesn't establish religious authority. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning verse 1, Paul told Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Notice it was the word, not their word. Here Paul was talking to the evangelist, the preacher, Timothy. He didn't say preach your word, preach a word, preach your opinion. No, he said preach the word. There's always been a problem of false teachers. Recently we studied in 2 Timothy in chapter 2 verse 1. Peter says, There shall be false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Notice, there shall be false teachers among you. We need to be aware that that danger has not gone away. And so we can't just rely on a preacher, any preacher, to be necessarily preaching the truth. What he says does not go unless it's true to the word. Look in 1 John 4, verse 1. Here's an instruction, a command. We have to carry this out even today. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And so, uh, we can't get our authority religiously from other men, specifically not from preachers. I would go further to point out that we can't get our authority from what the elders say. Um, again, sort of from experience, we know that people sometimes do this. Maybe we're, at, again, discussing things. Maybe we're discussing some issues. Maybe we're talking about some things that we have differences about. And someone says, well, that's just what our elders have decided to do, and that's on them. It's a, that, that's the elders' business. That's on them. And whatever they say, they'll have to answer for that. Well, we'll have to answer for that too. If we follow the guidance of elders and the, and the elders are directing us in ways that are not authorized in the Word of God, that won't work. The elders don't have authority to establish practices that are contrary to the Word of God. Look in Acts chapter 20, beginning verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves. Paul was speaking to the elders at Ephesus. And he said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Notice especially, Paul said, Of your own selves shall men arise, drawing away disciples after them. So here Paul was warning that even in that unique group of elders there in Ephesus, he knew that they would not all be faithful to the word and that they would speak perverse things, drawing away disciples after them. That ought to be fair warning. There's a potential danger even in following the elders if the elders are giving commands and instructions 
establishing practices and priorities different from the Word of God. When we're talking about not getting our authority from other men, I think we have to talk about the danger of following the majority. You know, that's always been sort of a common idea, at least in our place and time. We, we have grown up living under a, a democratic governmental uh, um, sort of setup. Uh, everybody has a vote, uh, and the one who gets the most votes, he wins the day. He, he gets elected to office. His, his practices are sort of accepted and signed off upon. We're used to that sort of democratic process, and maybe, maybe that is one of the reasons why that's sort of bled over into our religious thinking, that whatever the majority says, uh, that will be our rule. Uh, we, we see that a lot in the religious world, and, and by virtue of conventions and synods and church uh, assemblies of various kind where lots of church leaders come together, they actually literally vote upon things to establish rules and practices for their various denominations. Again, the rule of the majority has never worked with God. I want to remind you of a well-known incident in the life of King Saul way back in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, Saul had been commissioned by God, had been instructed by God, go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. The Amalekites had been an enemy of the Israelites and they had actually done some very despicable things in attacking the Israelites when they were in a weakened condition. And God had promised that, that he would not overlook that, that they would be punished for that in time to come. The time had come. And so God, through the prophet Samuel, told King Saul, go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Well, he went and he won the battle. Uh, I mean, it was a pretty decisive win, but he did not utterly destroy them. They were supposed to utterly destroy the Amalekites. They weren't supposed to bring back anything. Samuel goes out to meet Saul. In, in 1 Samuel 15, beginning verse 13, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now get that. Saul said, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said... What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of cattle which I hear? And Saul said, They, the people, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest have we utterly destroyed. So, when Saul comes back, Samuel goes out to meet him. Saul says, Well, we did it. We did it. We, we did just what God commanded us to do. And, and Samuel said, that doesn't seem right. I'm hearing the oxen. I'm hearing the sheep. You obviously didn't destroy everything. Well, Saul says, well, the people, they, the people, they decided to spare the best of the sheep and oxen for a sacrifice, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now, I'll tell you, as you well know, that did not work. Keep reading there. Samuel said, let me erase these highlights here real quick. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. 
And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Notice, now here Saul actually acknowledges what he did. He transgressed the commandment of the Lord. Why? I feared the people, obeyed their voice. Do you see the contrast there? The majority of people said, let's save the best of the animals and we'll make a big sacrifice to God. That's not what God had said to do. Saul realized that he had done wrong. He had transgressed the commandment of God. And the reason why? Because he wanted to do what the people said to do. Follow the majority. Do you see it? Well, we could multiply examples like that from both the Bible, from human history, and even from events in our day and time, we see that very often people try to establish their religious authority based upon what the majority thinks should be done. And so again, we want to stress these are wrong sources for establishing religious authority. This is just our preliminary study here in Bible authority. And, and, and so we want to, what we're doing here very simply as we revisit this subject that we've talked about a lot of times before, what we want to do is establish where do we go. Now in the lessons that follow, we want to talk about how do we go to the Word of God and get that information. But right now we're just saying we've got to go to the right source, and it is not from human sources. Our authority must come from God. We know that God speaks to us through the inspired Word. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Notice, all things. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That being the case, then you'd have to conclude that nothing else is needed. If He's given us all things, then we'd be searching in vain for something that we need that's not there. All things are there. That's the same message we see in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Notice, the man of God may be perfect. Now that word perfect there means complete. Everything you need is in the Word of God. We are thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If it's a good work and you need to be doing it, then it's found in the Scripture. We don't, have to, we don't have to be looking for the latest vote from some denominational convention or synod. Everything we need, all things that are given by the inspiration of God, we can be complete. Every good thing, all good works are identified there. If it's a good work and you need to be doing it, you'll find it in the Scripture. Again, sometimes people argue, well, we're doing this because we think it's a really good thing. Well, be careful about that sort of reasoning because God gets to establish what is a good work. And He has told us already what are the good works He wants us to engage in. We need to follow the guidance of the Scripture. In Revelation chapter 22, beginning verse 18, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add to these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now, I think 
we have properly observed that John here, as he's concluding the book of Revelation, when he says this book, he's talking about the book of Revelation specifically. But we believe that the principle set forth there applies to all the things that God has revealed. And so, uh, don't add to those things. Don't take away from those things because there's a curse from God that is identified if you would dare to do so. We know the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, beginning verse 8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Uh, that's a very specific uh, and important warning that is given. So, our authority must come from God. He speaks to us through His inspired Word. Everything we need is there. And then, let's just add one more observation here, which we think is really important. And that is that when we go to the Bible, it's all from God. We believe all the Bible, specifically both the Old Testament and New Testament, we believe are inspired by God. But here's a point that is overlooked by so many. We try to stress it a lot. I know that you understand this, but we've got to be ready to explain. When we're looking for what God wants us to do today, we've got to look to the New Testament. There's a lot of information in the Bible. There's a lot of valuable information in the Old Testament. We study the Old Testament a lot. There are great lessons to learn in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, we do not read what God wants us to be doing today. In the Old Testament... (coughs) We read about God giving instructions to Noah. Uh, But those instructions uh, aren't for us. God told Noah to build an ark of gopher wood. He had to do that. That was God's law for him. Uh, Thankfully, we don't have to do that sort of thing. Uh, I think everybody can get that and clearly understand that. But that principle is true of all things taught in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, very valuable information. Lots of lessons to be learned, but not our law from today. In Colossians chapter 2, at verse 14, Paul says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Well, this is talking about Jesus then, isn't it? When it talks about nailing it to his, this is talking about what Jesus did. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. What's that talking about anyway? What's that a reference to? Well, if we keep reading in that context, when we get into verse 16, Paul says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Those were instructions that are found in the Old Testament law of Moses. And Paul says because Jesus nailed those handwritten ordinances to his cross, we are no longer to be judged by them. That is, they are not pertinent to us. They are not authoritative for us. Those are not the rules or commands that we follow. Notice specifically he mentions the Sabbath days. The Sabbath day was the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That was the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Even that, even the Ten Commandments, that's part of the Old Testament law of Moses. We are not regulated by that law. That's not our authority for action today. Now, when we make that point, I think we all got to be ready quickly to explain All the other of the Ten Commandments are are repeated either verbatim or in principle in the New Testament. 
And so, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. We find all of those kind of same instructions in the New Testament. That's why we are obligated, because those are repeated in the New Testament. We're not obligated because they were the Ten Commandments from the book of Exodus. Those were for the Israelites, not for us. Jesus nailed all of the Old Testament law of Moses to his cross. We're not obligated by those instructions. That's not our authority today. Our authority comes from the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. The law that he's referencing here is the law of Moses. He says it was our schoolmaster. So there was a, there's great value, and, and, the, and the Old Testament law of Moses provided great service, had a valuable function, and it's still worthwhile for us to study today. But we are no longer under the schoolmaster. That's just as clear as it can possibly be, and we need to understand that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Paul says, Now all these things happened to them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. We just mentioned this verse to stress the idea that there is significant value, a great purpose for studying the Old Testament text, but it's not our law for today. Uh, we learn lessons from it, but it's not our law for today. All right, so quickly to summarize this first lesson, we're going to revisit this subject of Bible authority. We think it is so crucially important. And so we're going to study it again. This is just the first lesson of several that will follow. Probably we're going to have to continue to do these YouTube sermons on Sunday evening uh, for, for the next few weeks anyway. And during that time, my plan is that, God willing, we will study these lessons on Bible authority. So crucially important. Uh, so much religious division in the world today could be resolved if we all understood and properly applied the business of Bible authority. 